Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey out there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. As always, I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. For those of you who have maybe not listened to the show before, I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. After years of working alongside first responders and frontline workers as a trauma therapist, as well as being a friend to so many first responders and frontline workers, I became really passionate about supporting wellness as an advocate and educator for first responders and frontline workers. My mission is to support those on the front lines And it's really emerged from seeing over and over again that you guys sacrifice so, so much for our communities and our systems really work against you. Um, I'm really excited that you're joining me today of all days because today I get to have a really fantastic conversation with my new friend, Ryan. I met Ryan through an old friend from college who connected us when this old friend had heard about uh, my kind of interest in developing this podcast and some other resources that I've created for first responders and frontline workers. And I was looking to do some research and connect a bit more deeply with people who are outside of my client load. And when I connected with Ryan about all of these different pieces that I'm working on to get some of his feedback, One of the things that emerged in that conversation back in the fall of 2020 was that he has developed and implemented some really fantastic skills for mindfulness. So when I started creating this series on mindfulness that we've been walking through for the last couple of weeks, Ryan came to mind as someone I really wanted to connect with. Now, Ryan is an RCMP member in a northern rural community in Canada. He has been working in this work for a number of years now, and as a result of some of his work-related stress and exposure-related concerns, he's had to do some personal work and has developed some really cool skills. And I think it's really important for you to hear from someone who's not me about some of these pieces, because it's easy enough to kind of roll your eyes when you hear a therapist say a super therapist-y thing like mindfulness is a great idea, It's a little bit different when it feels like it's coming from someone who's a peer, who is really in the thick of it with you, and who gets it in a different kind of way, who gets the obstacles that you're facing, and the different systemic challenges, as well as the pace of the work that you do. I want you to hear from someone who is mimicking this message to say, hey guys, this is really valuable, and it's really doable. Um, So he and I are going to talk for a little bit now about some of the ways that he applies some of these strategies, and I hope that it inspires something for you as well. So take a listen. I would love to start by just saying thank you so much for being here, Ryan, and for your willingness to do this, because I know that it's not a typical request for someone to approach you and say, hey, will you be on my podcast? Oh, no problem. I'm glad I can help in any way. Ah. Yeah. Yes, I did have some some friends be like, ooh, you're going to get fired. <laughs> Dude, I, that's like, <laughs> this is a pretty big risk, hey? Yeah, and I was like, well, I'm not going to talk about protected information. It's literally about my, and then when I explain it, you know, what it's about, uh, they're like, oh, okay. So that seems okay. I think people are just a little bit paranoid, 
right, with media and everything about what you can say or what you can't say. And we get training on that. And then we realize that there isn't a whole lot that we should be saying. But totally. And, and, and I'm like, no, this is a this is a podcast about mindfulness and like frontline workers. Um, right. So I just sort of, you know, <laughs> remind myself of that so that I don't just, uh, you know, get paranoid and be like, nope, <laughs> I won't help. Totally. And that's kind of, I mean, it kind of speaks to exactly why I, I think resources like this need to exist is because the the training is to keep things pretty close to the vest. And that makes a lot of sense given the work you do and the fact that you interact with so much protected information. But it also really isolates you guys. And it, I think, leaves you guys to feel like each other is the only other people who get it. But is that really what you guys talk about or connect around? And when you do, is that actually meaningfully helpful? Yeah. Because of the protected information, you will be afraid to speak with other people, even when it's completely safe. Totally. Um, so you don't really get that outside perspective a whole lot. So yeah, you're just talking to your coworkers and generally they're just going to agree with you. Do you right. know what I mean? You're just going to, so you're not really going to expand or remind yourself of what it was like before you became a police officer. Right. Like they're equally entrenched in the stuff that makes it maybe like not healthy or not helpful at times. That's right. Yeah. Fair. So, Ryan, how long have you been an RCMP officer? I'm coming up to eight years now. Wow. Eight years. What got you into it? Like, where did that start for you? So, for me, I think it's almost your typical story where when you're a kid, it looks really cool and you see it on TV. Um, (laughs) So, it's it's kind of implanted, you know, in your mind, like, hey, that's cool. Uh, I'd like to do that. And then I applied for a few when I was 19 and I was basically told on the side grow up Mm. Uh, when I was 19 I looked like I was 16 acted like I was 14 Uh, so I I can't I agree with them I did need to grow up and then I applied again uh, to a few places when I was about 29 30 and and joined and got in then Uh, and basically my main reason was to um, prevent people from getting away with things. And I think everybody has that moment where they're like, they shouldn't be able to get away with this. This is criminal. And you're like, hmm, mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd like to be a part of that. It's, it's easy to want to be a part of that. Like that sense of bringing justice. Yes. I think we all have that in us where we'd like to see justice served and we think about it and see it in everyday life. And without the authority behind it, um, you feel helpless, like you can't do anything. And I think that's what drives everybody, or me anyways, to to apply. Um, mm. And when I remind myself of that reason, it is actually uh, useful. It helps me. And it does feel like you actually are making a difference when you think of it like that. Because it can be hard mm. when you get caught up in all the paperwork, media, whatever, um, the day-to-day right. life of a police officer yeah, you can kind of forget that you are actually making a difference. Totally. I think that's probably a really common experience across all helping professions to some extent, like first response, Mm. frontline work, helping professionals, because the systems that surround like all of the extra things 
becomes so much the focus, right? Like how much training have you done and how to do reporting and paperwork? Mm, That's right. Right. And so that becomes so much of what the, the system focuses on. And yet that's not what we got into it for. No one went into it thinking, I love doing paperwork. I think that sounds like fun. (laughs) That's right. Right. So then it's this piece of like, how do we stay anchored to like, why this matters at all and why we continue to show up Monday morning or whatever um, when it feels like there's this disconnect from what we're here for and why it matters to us. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. So like, I'm curious now that you've been in it for eight years, has that sense of justice shown up for you? Like, have you felt like you've gotten to achieve aspects of why you got into it to begin with? You know what? I, I do feel like I have. There's been ups and downs. And I think I've reminded myself about it and I've, I've focused on that and that'll actually bring me back and it'll change my behavior as a police officer. Um, hmm. So if, if that makes sense, what I'm saying, like you need, I think you need to be yeah. able to remember why you got in uh, and not get too hung up on um, the paperwork or the side stuff, the side stuff and have that be in a side. You have to be good at it though. You have to learn it, but then let that be an aside. Let it be something right, that like you just secondary. do. Yes. And you just focus on the change you want to make. And ultimately it comes down to how uh, dealing with people. It's how you mm. deal with people is, is what it is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've realized. So for me, it's almost like police officer is a combination of, of a lot of things. You got to wear a lot of hats and kind of, honestly, it feels like social work sometimes. Well, totally. Right. Yeah. To some extent, I think that's kind of like the conversation that's happening on a broader scale with this whole defund the police thing, which I mean, everyone has a position and an opinion and a feeling about, but um, I think at its at its core, ultimately, the fundamental kind of question that's being asked in some of that movement, wherever that looks and leads is this question of, are we asking too much of police officers and law enforcement to wear too many hats that it makes them kind of a jack of all trades rather than the expert at what they really should be the experts at? A really good point. And when that uh, when people have said, hey, would you ride around with, say, a mental health nurse of some sort mm-hmm. in your vehicle, I'm like, there'd be a lot of calls where that would be great. Right. Um, there would also be a lot of calls where that would be more of a liability. Totally. Um, so I, I see both sides and I, f- I feel like our training was pretty good. The training mm-hmm. that I got and I've been able to deal with a lot of um, mental health uh, clients uh, in my first post. Um, but I also did work with um, people with special needs for a few years before. Okay. Um, so you have a bit of a background in that. I guess, yeah. People with a bit of a background tend to do a lot better because you are dealing with, I mean, they, they overlap, right? Like uh, sure. mental health problems and, and our call volume. Like totally. <laughs> def- definitely connected. Um, having a background helps. For sure. Yeah. Well, that additional like experience and expertise, but also probably a different perspective on like what's going on in some of these situations. 
that maybe frames that a bit differently. That's right. Your experience you have. And I think that's where, like, I know over the years, as far as uh, police forces, I think they're hiring older people with mm. more life experience for that reason. Yeah, um, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Okay, so you're eight years in. That's a pretty hefty amount of time within that career. Um, given some of your experiences and what you imagined it might be like when you went into it versus how it has been, I'm curious if there are things that have surprised you about your work in law enforcement. Uh, I guess I'm surprised and I understand it. I understand it now, how um, our system works and how we do have, uh, it seems to be a long drawn out court process, but without that, it wouldn't really be due process. It wouldn't be fair. And I don't know if anything's better. Um, right. I mean, so there, there is that challenge because for us, everything's as a, or for me anyways, as a police officer, I feel like things should be dealt with. Things seem really straightforward. They kind of seem a little bit black and white sometimes. Right. Um, so it, it was an eye opener to see how uh, the court system works. And there's a lot to learn there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the other aspect was how some communities are really struggling. And I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of Canadians know about these smaller communities that are, are struggling and the people living there may not have running water or the right amount of food um, mm-hmm. to survive properly. And that was an eye opener for me is just seeing how difficult some people's lives really are totally. um, in certain communities. It's hard, it's hard to talk about without being specific, but. No, that's super fair. Well, and I, because you also didn't grow up in some of the communities that you've served in, right? That's right. Right. So this would be like a very different kind of experience from what you would have really been exposed to prior to being there. That's exactly right. Yeah, I grew up in Vancouver area and then to be in northern rural detachments and see the way people are living, it's definitely an eye opener. Yeah, and for sure. you, I feel like a lot of people don't actually know what's going on. And even the media, right? It doesn't come out in the media, things that happen in these smaller places. Um, totally. I don't know if that's fair, if there's a, a good reason for that. We don't want it to be scaring everybody in the general public. But um, that, that was really hard for me to actually deal with, uh, being away from family and friends and seeing this world where it's just, it's hard to live in. People don't have what they need. Yeah. Um, And that is creating the problems. Totally. Like it contributes to all of these different pieces that are then what you're seeing in your call volume. I'm curious, like, does that feel like seeing some of those things, the way that you've seen them and how different they are than what you maybe expected or knew about? um, Does some of that contribute to some of your experience with work-related stress? Like, is that a contributing factor for you? You know what? I would say that is, a huge factor in how you deal with it or how I dealt with it and how I was coping. Um, Because I do, you get so involved with your community and I kind of didn't really growing Mm -hmm. up, I would say in in like a larger population Um, Mm -hmm. just growing up, maybe it's being an adult, but uh, 
yeah, you feel more connected. And at the same time, there's way more problems than mm. you would expect to see. And I think that does wear on, wear on you. It, it, it wore on me a lot. I know I talked about it a lot in my first few years mm. uh, and sort of would like be an eye opener for my, my family and friends back home Yeah. Um, when I talked about it. And I did become, I had months where I was stressed out to the point where I didn't know if this was for me and mm. I would go, I'd be home alone at night trying to fall asleep and everything goes through your head about all this stuff. Like, what am I doing here? Is this, is this really yeah. for me? This is really difficult. I'm not around any, any of my normal supports uh, growing up. Um, what am I going to do? <laughs> I guess okay, I've invested all of this time and energy into this and it feels like it's not going very well right now. That's right. It feels yeah. huge. It feels like a, a huge decision to make. I think a, probably a lot of police officers go through that. I, I feel like around almost around that same time in their career. Mm -hmm. How far into your career were you at that point? I want to say like two, three years. Yeah. Okay. And I've heard people talk about it at two, three years, people go into a funk and then they either figure it out and come out on top or they'll mm. often look, look for ways, ways out or transfer out or struggle. Um, and you can see it. You see that in people. You see them start to look elsewhere. Maybe they need mm. to move. Maybe they need to change jobs. Um, I don't know. I feel like you see that in a lot of police officers, in, in my experience anyways. Um, and if they get through that and figure it out, I think then, then they stay in. So I wouldn't right. be surprised if the stats show kind of like a, a blip of people quitting or trying to get into a different role within um, law enforcement around Enough two, three years, year. two, three years. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. It's kind of that time where like you're in it long enough to have some of those pre-existing notions challenged like any of your assumptions about what it was gonna be like have maybe gone out the window um and are replaced by the reality of oh no this is what it's like and it's like this more days than it's not <laughs> and yeah. are you really invested in sticking that out well said yeah and then yeah are you invested are you gonna stick it out are you gonna adapt right well, and that's a piece too, for sure, right? Like the difference between the guys that adapt and find skills to support that to be like effective on an ongoing basis versus those, and probably you see this in your own work all the time, is those guys that are just super jaded and probably make life miserable for everybody else around them. That's right. That's that's when you just got to go. <laughs> right. And yet there those is other guys that like, just won't go. I know. <laughs> kind of shifting gears from the work-related stress piece, if that's okay, unless there were other pieces that you wanted to kind of speak to about that first. Uh, no, I think we can move on. Okay. So I know that um, having had some experiences after your time in law enforcement and through this period of time at the like two to three year mark where you were finding yourself struggling more with some of the decision-making about whether you're in this career or need to make some changes, 
that you did some kind of like personal development work um, to develop some mindfulness skills. I did. I guess we could thank my friends that were aware of how to deal uh, with life probably better than I am. And Mm. they kind of helped me. And I've got a few close friends that are just really aware of, I guess, mindfulness techniques, psychology in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I found that, I don't know, I would get hung up on everything, kind of get super energetic and almost hyper when you have a lot of things to do. And I wouldn't remain calm. And then next thing you know, you're not accomplishing a lot. You're not even really being yourself as you jump from one thing to the next. Yeah. Um, and I knew for me, I don't know if it was a connection with anxiety, just sort of general anxiety. Yeah. Um, but when I realized, I guess, sorry, when I started being more present, which is to me mm-hmm. what mindfulness is, is being present and not having your mind going a thousand miles a minute uh, about future things. Totally. Um, and that was my main problem. So when I brought it back to the moment and just for me focused on what's important and I picked a few things and I think everybody can do that. They just pick a few things that they believe to be true about their day, about their lives and, and what's actually important to them. Uh, all the, the rest kind of fizzles to the background and then you can go about your day more productively again um, totally. and, and ultimately happier because you were productive and you were yourself instead totally. of living in the future. And I think it was a, it was a Ted talk a few years ago and this really struck a chord too. It was, they said that people are happiest when they're in the present. People smile mm. more when they're in the present, when they're focusing yeah. on what's going on in their lives right now. That is where people are happy. When people are upset, and sad, depressed, it's usually when they're not present. It's usually when they're thinking about things in the future or in the past. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I always thought I need to continuously think about things in the future or I'm going like, to screw something up now. Totally. Um, this is the I, time to prepare for all the things. Yeah. Yeah, let's keep thinking about it. Let's keep preparing. Let's keep thinking about it. And in the meantime, time is passing and you're not accomplishing anything. Uh, Totally. Well, and I love what you said about when you're in the present, then when you're doing things, you feel more productive and like you are more you. And in, in psychology, we would use words like you're acting more in alignment or you're being more congruent with who you intend to be which is why it feels differently satisfying to be in that space because then the things you're choosing to do and how you're choosing to spend your time or, um, or kind of like how you're doing your day feels like it's you because it is like you're anchored into what you actually give a crap about. That's exactly it. Yeah. I love it. The, the piece you seem to do um, as a mindfulness skill is I've talked about it on the show before. It's this concept called anchoring. And it's this idea of like, we need to have these like core values or um, identifiable things that are like our, uh, our anchor, our thing that we can hold firm to in the stormy water, right? And so when we, like we all have those things, but we tend to lose track of them. 
and we let them be so far back on the back burner with all of the other noise layered over it that we lose it. And if we can find ways to like intentionally connect to those things on a semi-regular basis, we tend to have a way easier time quieting the other noise or at least not giving as much attention to it. Well, that sounds exactly right. Now, where did you start to learn and develop that as a skill set? Like you mentioned some of the friends that you have in your life who maybe helped you identify a time where you weren't as much you. Yes, I'd say my friends for sure. And just the help they provided by by being there and talking about it. Um, yeah. Honestly, that's so long ago, I couldn't think of specific examples. But I did see a professional a year ago. And I okay. actually, you just, you just reminded me when you said, uh, I think, anchoring. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't really, I didn't see this professional enough to um, gain a lot or really get out any like old demons in my mind or any of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did get um, anchoring down, which I think in, in this case was looking around the space you're in and just acknowledging things around you, even like your feet, looking at your feet and being like, my feet are here. And like, it sounds super cheesy. And like, what is this? And you're kind of like, okay, I'll go along with it. And, you know, you're looking around and, oh, I just noticed that there's a small fridge in the corner or whatever it is. And then the next thing you know, you, your mind isn't going a mile a minute. Totally. So, so for me, as long as I see some sort of, you know, benefit, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I can roll with that. And I've actually used that. uh, And just, if I know I'm not at my best, say at work, Mm -hmm. and you've been dealing with a lot of decisions, um, and if you're constantly making decisions, you know, for me anyways, I tend to get worn down. And at some point, someone will ask you something and you might not respond the best. Yeah. And, and I think the sooner you realize that you're not about to respond the best or that you didn't just there, and you can actually take a moment and anchor yourself, I guess, with what's important, mm-hmm. to align yourself with what's important and take a moment. And I think that's where... The only place people would see that I'm actually doing something is when they would see me be like, okay, just one second. I'll actually, I'll like leave, go to the lunchroom, even go home, whatever you got to do, take a break. Let's come back to this, whatever you can do to take a break and totally. just remind myself what's important. And then you can, and then your day can continue and you're not, you didn't go into that space where all you were thinking about is the future or you're just reacting. Totally. Yeah. That nails it, right? Like this in this series leading up to um, this conversation going out to the world. Um, some of the the conversations in this series on mindfulness for the podcast leading up to this has been around understanding why it works, so that we feel motivated to actually apply it. Because you're right, it's hard when we're told to do something like look at our feet um, to. Th- take that seriously and to integrate it or apply it into our lives, unless we have a really strong sense of why it's going to make a difference. And it sounds like there's been really interesting ways that you've noticed it make a difference for you that makes it something that you would continue to apply for your world. Definitely. Uh, It's still scary. It's still scary to me because I, I still do want to just go back to being kind of like a caffeinated, like bumblebee. Um, (laughs) That, there is an appeal to that. Uh, There's like a simplicity and not having to work so hard at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. You don't have to be as conscious to like apply the skills 
when you're in that just like buzz around go mode. That's right. And, and there is something like, I don't know, almost fun about that too. Mm. <laughs> but you're still, I, I feel like I'm still not going to be productive in like an adult work environment. Um, right. That would be more for like vacation or days off if you really wanted to. That's <laughs> sort of how I see it. Well, and I kind of imagine that there's also a difference in the sustainability of that, like to do that all day, every day, forever and ever. Mm. Right. Like there's also a cost to it. Yeah. That's right. Burnout. And I think we all see people that are like that. Totally. Are there any other, like you've mentioned this piece that I'm going to call anchoring, which is kind of like identifying what the high value pieces are in your world and finding ways to anchor back to that. Um, You've also mentioned this piece about like noticing things in your present environment, which I talked about in last episode is kind of this piece around attuning to our environment as a means of mindfulness. Are there any other skills that you specifically have found helpful? I guess, I don't know if this is, this would be a skill, but um, what that might look like for me is Mm -hmm. being in a dark room, even in the afternoon at home for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. And that's what it looks like when I'm thinking about these things. Um, When you're doing that anchoring process. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm just like, this is what's important. These things aren't how this person thinks of me isn't right now. These things are. And it inspires confidence, I guess. Yeah. And those are the, the things that I think about are just stuff that I've come up with. I feel like there's definitely a lot more to it. Like if, if speaking with a professional, you could figure out certain things that kind of work for everybody or what would work for you specifically. This is just stuff that I've sort of come up with on my own. So very much so an amateur. Well, and that's fair. And I think to some extent, like I, a lot of the work I do clinically is that piece of like trying to, you know, offering this information of these are different skills and then working to figure out how to make them personal for people. Um, But at the end of the day, they are always personal. Like it always is going to be a bit unique to each individual who does it. So it's kind of okay that you're an amateur and you're making it up as you go along because there's some version of that that was going to be true anyway. Hmm. That's right. I'm curious, like, since having started to do some of these pieces as a bit more of a practice in your world, what have you noticed is different about you? Like, are there things that you feel like you handle differently as a result of that? It sounds like some of the like interpersonal interactions, like you mentioned, if I have, you know, a moment where I feel like I didn't handle something very well with someone that I will ask to like come back to it later. Or are there other ways that you've noticed that it has had, you know, good, bad or otherwise impact for you to start doing some of these things? I think the main thing, the most obvious to me is that I can function throughout the whole day so I can Mm. I can be at work say uh, for a day shift I can go home and instead of vegetating and staring at the wall for five minutes I'll be like oh what oh what can I do now I'm gonna make a healthy supper and I have the energy to do it and if I don't have the energy at least have the willpower (laughs) to 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 do it like I (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I still have totally. that. Um, yeah. 
because I guess maybe that's one of those things, you know, that's that's important is to look after yourself. So it just sort of automatically happens. And then if I were to be socializing in the evening, uh, I can do it, even yeah. though I was dealing with stuff all day and dealing with people all day and other people's problems, which which I, I know can be draining in all fields mm-hmm. and just everyday life. So for me, I can get more out of my day. I guess that's the biggest thing hmm. I notice. Um, cool. And you can't help but notice if people should like should be doing it. Like you'll 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 just notice people um, running out of gas yeah. and getting worked up about everything. And you want to tell them like, okay, you know, everybody says just like chill out, gonna give yourself a heart attack. Um, hmm. And and you wish you could just like impart this little bit of wisdom, and then they just take it on, and the next day they'd be fine. <laughs> but it it does seem to be kind of one of those things you gotta sort of find on your own, and mm. be be ready for it, I guess. Well, and it kind of takes like some time and practice to figure out how to make it yours, and how to and for your body to kind of regulate itself to a new rhythm. Definitely. Like you said, it, there's aspects of how it was before that almost still feel appealing, right? Like there's that part of us that will always want us to go back to versions of patterns that we've done before, even though they may not be good for us. Definitely. Yeah. When you are engaging in some of your mindfulness skills, do you do that largely at home? Or are there ways that you've found to incorporate some of that like into your work day where you're noticing you need something to just kind of calm yourself down or um, things like that. I've tried to incorporate it into my work day. It usually looks like, oh, I'm losing focus. And then hmm. what, what do I need to do? And, and I guess this is where I think most people would probably say it's like they take a moment and focus on their breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I'm not really that uh, focused enough to remember to do that sometimes when I'm at work. So it's more, it's more of uh, just a moment on my own, I guess. Mm. So I don't, I don't sit there and say, okay, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to take a moment to be mindful or meditate or whatever it's, but you can apply it. I think quite quickly. It's Mm. more just bring yourself back to what's important and just quickly and reminding yourself that you're working on that. Um, that's as far as I've gone with it. So it's just sort of a quick reminder, wait, let's not just react. Let's actually think about this. Is this an emergency? No. Okay. We have, we have time. Yeah. And so I guess just, yeah, we're basically just saying, Hey, you can be calm. Let's think about this rationally. Um, we don't have to just react. But beyond that, I haven't like incorporated a whole lot to at work or, or set aside any specific time to do it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I think one of the, um, one of the conversations I often have with clients, but um, have also kind of argued a bit these last couple episodes is that there's there are like small ways that we can incorporate some of these pieces into virtually any moment or situation like whether that's you know a really simple straightforward breathing exercise that like no one around you is noticing that you're doing it 
um, or even that anchoring piece that we're talking about with you, this like refocusing on what matters, like no one else is in your head. No one else knows that you're doing this. They just think that you're thinking or waiting or something. Um, that these are like cheap, easy, you know, super accessible things that we can incorporate because I've had a lot of clients who are like, I mean, very similar to you who are police officers or paramedics. I've had this argument with a lot of paramedics about what's accessible when they're on the road. Um, and we get into some of the like, well, I've heard coping is like, you know, diffusing essential oils and, you know, this, that, and the other. And we have the conversation about like, literally this could just be that you're going to take a second to like imagine yourself in a place that feels warm and cozy instead of in the freezing back of your ambulance for a second. Like it doesn't have to be really complicated. It doesn't have to involve a lot of like paraphernalia. It, it can be pretty straightforward if we learn to practice it and, and find ways to remind ourselves to do it in some of those moments. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to turn, you don't have to like bring out the uh, plastic ferns and <laughs> the incense and turn off the lights and be like, everybody, we're just having a, having a moment. Totally. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Cause like I said, it is, it's in your head really what you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah. I love it. I super appreciate your perspective on that. Um, I feel like I have asked all of the questions that I intended to ask you and I've so appreciated your time and your willingness to talk through all of the different pieces that we've talked about. I'm curious, um, if there's anything else that you feel like you like knowing what it's like to be on, on your side of this in your shoes, um, as someone who relates really closely to a lot of the people in our audience, is there anything else that you think that would be valuable for our audience to know about mindfulness on the front lines or advice that you have for others out there that are working at sustaining wellness while working to support our communities? You know, I think first thing, uh, Lindsay, I would say don't be afraid to talk about it with mm -hmm. other people. And I think it's one of those things when you do bring it up, people might look at you at, you would think they would never have thought of any of this stuff. And you just, you know, you're just a work, a coworker, I guess. And then right. you bring it up and they might smile at you and be like, Oh yes, my, my husband does that. Or like, you know, they ha everybody seems to have an experience with this now in some way, or at least know about it. Um, or maybe they're doing it all the time and you don't know. And they're the ones that are super mindful, super present. And uh, you're, you're surprised by that when you tell them. So I would say, mm -hmm. yeah, just be, be okay talking about it. It doesn't have to be this cheesy, fluffy thing that's like, oh, now we're just going to like hang out and like, I don't know, light incense, right? And turn the lights off and like, this <laughs> hold is a, hands this is a, and talk hold hands. about it. Yeah, talk about our feelings. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. <laughs> so, um, I think a lot of people have some sort of experience with it or they do, or they do it themselves in some way that they've just figured out on their own where they need yeah. to just chill out. Um, yeah. And I, I always say that I always, to me, it's being calm. And I want to say that it bring, it makes me feel like I am actually my age. Like I'm, I have the wisdom <laughs> of someone mm -hmm. my age instead of coming across like that, that bumblebee that could be, 
you know, any age just reacting. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ryan, for your time today and for sharing all of these pieces that you've shared. Like, it's just been really fantastic to hear from the perspective of someone who's out there and who's doing this and who's struggled with some of the things that we've been talking about for a number of weeks now and has found ways to apply some of the skills that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. I just really value your experience and the willingness that you've had to bring that here because I know that this isn't an everyday kind of space to bring some of that to. Um, So thank you again for your time and for your wisdom and for sharing that. Thank you, Lindsay, for the opportunity. And like I said, feel free to edit this and make me sound a lot smarter than I am. (laughs) I'm so closing on that. (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Ryan and I really enjoyed our conversation together, and I just want to thank him again for being a part of that conversation and for being willing to expose some of the ways that he's found the work hard, as well as some of the ways he's worked to correct for that and counterbalance it using some of these tools. Um, It's not easy coming on a show like this and offering this kind of uh, personal level of exposure. So I hope that all of you out there listening can really appreciate his story and his willingness to share it. Um, I know he and I left off in kind of a funny place. We had been having some technical difficulties throughout the course of our recording. Um, And so I wanted to end it there just because it felt like a really great place to end it. But I also just wanted to say one more time before we wrap up today's show, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with me on social media um, and for connecting with me by email. It's been really fun to get to know some of you a little bit better and to hear some of your stories. I hope you'll continue to share some of that with me. There are lots of different pieces that you can connect with. Um, And I would love to hear from you about how today's uh, show landed for you um, and whether there are pieces that you'll be taking away from this today. As always, you'll find all of my contact details in the show notes. And during the course of this next coming week, I hope that you will continue to stay safe.